presents Salty and Bright, the sermon by the Rev. Jean Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, February 9th, 2020. Jesus climbed a hill in Galilee and sat down to teach, with the whole expanse of the Galilee before him. Villages, the Roman road, and the sea, the Roman city of Tiberias, emblem of Rome's oppressive power, rising on the far bank. He was surrounded by people, In the inner circle were his disciples, who followed him up the hill to sit at his feet and hear every word. Beyond them were crowds of people from all over the countryside, people who were sick or disabled, and the ones who cared for them. I imagine some stayed after they had been healed out of gratitude and awe, and others were there crowding in, hoping for their turn. Seen from a distance, there were no obvious world changers gathered around Jesus on that hill. It was a crowd of fishermen and shepherds and householders, small craftspeople and housewives, ordinary people, not the religious or political elite of their day. Probably a lot of disappointed people, definitely some desperate people, people who'd been told that they didn't count for much, scared people, Jesus started by naming as blessed those in the crowd who were brokenhearted, poor, or hungry, and the ones who were merciful and focused on peacemaking. He turned to the disciples and said, blessed are you when you are persecuted and reviled, a rather uncomfortable promise for the future. And he continued, so the disciples listening and the crowd listening in, and we listening in, across the generations could hear. He said to them all and to us, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Did you hear that? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Not you have the potential to be salty and bright, Not, here is the game plan for self-improvement and the list of coursework that you will require to make you worthy to become salt and light. But you are already. These are beautiful and challenging metaphors. But in their first moment of hearing, I wonder what power they held that we may be missing. Salt seems a rather homely metaphor, the most common mineral in the world, and unless we have medical reasons to limit it, we think nothing about using all the salt we want to on all the foods we want to salt. Almost all of us have it in our cupboards. It's cheap and easy to find. You can, if you enjoy that kind of thing, spend quite a lot of money on gourmet salt from around the world, different colors and crystal size. You can buy blocks of it to cook your food on or serve it on. But for most of us, it's just salt, $1.29 in the blue Morton cardboard canister. But historically, salt was scarce 
and therefore precious. For centuries and centuries, it was one of the world's principal trading commodities. One of the busiest roads in the whole of the Roman Empire was the Via Salaria, the salt road that ran along the Tiber River and brought merchants from the salt pans in Ostia into the heart of Rome. A Roman soldier's pay was given partly in salt, and the word for that pay is the Latin root of our word salary. A soldier's salary was cut if he was no good at his job. He was deemed not worth his salt. As a colleague of mine, Rachel Keefe, put it, Jesus knew the importance of salt. He knew it was needed for flavoring, for healing, for preserving. Salt was precious, necessary, and good. Everyone knew that. I bet, however, that the disciples were a bit surprised when Jesus told them that they were salt. They weren't to become salt. They didn't need to cultivate it or harvest anything to be the salt the world needed. They were salt. In that moment, salt. Wherever they went, salt. What they did, salt. They were precious, necessary, and good. And you are the salt of the earth. You give flavor to the life around you. And in the same way that salt not only gives its own flavor, but enhances the other flavors in the dish, you enhance the flavor, the gifts and graces of the people around you. You are salt, Jesus said, and like salt, you are meant to do the work of preservation. We as individuals, we as a congregation, and we as the whole church are called to preserve what we have received. The stories of our faith, the traditions of the church, the truths we have received and the spiritual experiences we have had, the forgiveness, hope, and joy we have known in community. We are the recipients and preservers of ancient wisdom. Here in this congregation, we are the salt that preserves the traditions and history of this community. Preserve them and hold on to them for the generations to come after. There are those among us who know the stories of how each of our two precursor congregations were formed and grew. They know the commitments to justice and service and how they have been acted out in the community. There are those who know the names of the historic pillars of the community, the ones still in the room, the ones who've moved away, and those who have gone on before. We salty people know the value of the journey this community has already come, the strength and beauty of this congregation's life. We know the ways that we have been salt to the women at Swan and Madrona House, doing small things to help them become whole and well to enhance their lives. How we have added salt to the ongoing feast at Hoyt Street and Clackamas Service Center by bringing food and the salty flavor of respect and honor to people who may not often receive either in their daily lives. And on and on. We add flavor, we enhance flavor, and we preserve what is good and valuable from the past.
you are salt. But Jesus also said, you are the light of the world. Beautiful. But I wonder if we hear it in the same way that Jesus' first hearers might have, living as they did in a world lit only by sun, moon, and starlight, by oil lamp and cooking fire. For us, it can be hard to escape light. Even once we turn off our lamps at the end of the day and close the curtains, our clocks and TVs and appliances all have those annoying little blue lights, some of them even blinking. And it's hard to block out the ambient light, the street lights and car lights and city lights. I invite you to pause and remember the last time you were in real darkness the kind of deep darkness that makes even familiar spaces unfamiliar and difficult to navigate. Remember what that felt like, the softness of the dark, the way temperature and sound are magnified, the way you suddenly notice every small breeze against your cheek and feel the furniture, the chair against your back, the way all your other senses strain to make up for the loss of sight. Darkness can be soft, gentle, and nurturing. That same darkness can in one moment become terrifying, the sound of a wild animal when you are camping, an unfamiliar footfall when you are alone and not expecting anyone, the sound of Roman soldiers entering your village before dawn. It was into this world that Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Just like salt, a small amount can make a huge difference. Now, as many of you know, my family and I vacation most summers at a little cabin on a lake in down east Maine. We go almost every year to the same place that David's grandparents and great-grandparents built. Until David was in college, there was neither indoor plumbing nor electricity. Thankfully, I came into the family after all that had changed. I'm very fond of hot water for bathing and not having to face monstrous great spiders in the bathroom. The occasional night of thunderstorms and power outages led, just added to our sense of adventure of being at camp. We had happy evenings of reading and playing games by candlelight and oil lamp except for that one time. That one time, David and I had packed up our kids, our two kids, and we packed a picnic lunch and taken our beat up old 14 foot tin can of a boat, which is just a few years younger than I am, and we'd taken an adventure around to the other side of the peninsula across the lake from us. Now this was a place on the lake that we usually only went very early in the morning. It was a little bit tricky to get into. There were rocks that came close to the surface, surface, so someone had to be in the bow navigating and pointing positive the way to go to get into that cove. Once there, it was beautiful and protected. But it was a little hard to see. There was a, there's a hill on that peninsula, and so we couldn't see the clouds gathering over the west side of the lake. And because it was protected, you couldn't read the surface of the water the way you can when you're on the main body of the lake and watch the way the wind is changing across the surface. 
The wind didn't come into that part of the lake. Well, we had listened to the weather report. It was meant to be a fair, beautiful, sunny day all day. And so we chanced it. We packed our lunch. We got into the cove. We went back to the inlet stream, tied up the boat, and went hiking up the inlet stream into the woods. It was a beautiful, magical, idyllic day. But then, as we traveled back down the stream to the boat and the homeward journey, we noticed it had suddenly turned a little bit chilly. And then it seemed to start getting dark. And then it started to drizzle. And then it started to pour. And then the thunder and lightning came. We crashed and raced back through the woods that we had so reverently walked through in the morning, found a low place, and ducked down and hunkered down to wait out the thunder and lightning. After the last of the thunder had rumbled away, the sky was still dark, but it was daylight, storm dark, not quite nightfall. So we bailed the boat and set out for camp. Now normally that would be about a 45 minute boat ride, but the water was really choppy. By the grace of God and the grace of David's muscle memory for the contours of the lake, we made it out of the cove, through the rocky part, and around to the head of the peninsula. But then we started to get disoriented because night was falling and suddenly nothing looked familiar. It was then that we realized that the entire west shore of the lake, the place where the camps were, was in total darkness. Not one light in one camp. And then the engine died. Now, our usual route when we got around that peninsula was to head straight across the open part of the lake, north-northwest, to the point on which our camp lay, across a great expanse of the lake. But that route was impossible. We couldn't see anything. So instead, we took my typical kayaking route along the side of the peninsula, straining our eyes to see the land, working hard to stay out far enough from the land that we wouldn't hit the rocks. We had no idea how long it would take us to row, and we didn't feel secure enough to try to land. And we didn't have a flashlight, because it was a daytime picnic. I learned several things that evening. I learned about the kindness of my husband, the strength and calm of my sons under stress, about how disorienting that kind of absolute darkness can be. We rode and we rode. And I learned just how little light it takes to lead someone home. Because at long last, the people in the camps must have found whatever oil lamps and candles they kept for just such occasions. And one by one, small, small lights began to flicker across the water. From miles away across the water, those small lights served as beacons leading us home. Right about now, we look around the world and things seem filled with shadows and darkness, not the quiet, good, nurturing dark of the seed in the earth, but the frightening dark filled with menace and uncertainty. It seems almost impossible to see our way forward. Whatever we may have to contribute seems so small. Except for this, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. These are statements. They're declar declarations about the way things are 
no matter what the circumstances may feel like. A small bit of light can do two things. It can be a beacon to those who are far off, letting them know where home is. And also, when you are holding it, it can illuminate the path right in front of your feet. It may not illuminate the whole way. The path up ahead may still be shrouded in shadows, but it will show where to put your feet next. You are that light for the world, a beacon and an illumination of the way forward. The world has changed and is changing. People's connections to church or other faith communities are not automatic as they once were. Sundays are seen as a day of rest, but not necessarily a day of worship. And we in the progressive church can be particularly shy about suggesting it could or should be any other way. We don't want to be arrogant or appear self-righteous or judgmental those, by the way, are the two words millennials and Gen Xers most often equate with Christianity. Self-righteous and judgmental. We don't want to appear pushy or as imposing our religious views on other people. Out of a sense of respect for other people's spiritual journeys, we may have made the mistake of forgetting to proclaim our own. We, preservers of our tradition, have ancient wisdom to share, but no one will know it if we lose our saltiness. If we forget that our work is to use that ancient wisdom to enhance the flavor of the world, not to dissuade anyone from their own path, that's not what salt does. It doesn't change the other flavors. It enhances them and brings them out. I can honestly say that my reading in Buddhism has helped me become a better Christian. How beautiful if the salt and light of our faith helped our Muslim neighbors deepen their faith in Islam and our Jewish neighbors love their Judaism even more deeply. No one will know if we don't remember that we are not only preservers of the past, but light for the future. Let's allow our light to shine as a beacon for people longing for home those alienated from the churches of their childhood because of rigidity or misogyny, racism or homophobia. A beacon to people who have a lot of questions, who doubt and wonder and long to pray with other people who doubt and wonder and have a lot of questions. Let's allow our light to shine the way forward in unexpected places, even if we can only see one step at a time and don't have all the answers? What if we showed up in those unexpected places asking for gun reform, or health care, or fair wages, or housing access? How would the public conversation change with a louder, more confident voice from compassionate, progressive Christians? You are the salt of the earth. Don't lose your saltiness your ability to preserve everything that is good and sustaining, your incredible knack for drawing out the flavor in those around you. Be salty. You are also the light of the world, and a light, no matter how small, that is set on a lampstand where it belongs will be a beacon for those who are lost. A light that is carried out into the world will illuminate the path one step at a time.
be bright. Amen. Listen, listen, listen.